house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. been through a terrible ordeal three foster homes in three years we just love her she must be a great comfort to you not being able to have children of your own what did you say to her i'm only trying to protect you from those people those people are not the enemy mother maybe this is forever forever fades away like a rocket ascending You look at me, and you don't like what you see. This is the price, mother. The price of belonging to you. I made you. I'm in your blood. You don't go anywhere until I let you go. Then let me go. Hello, and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast with an abundance of juices. Um, every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File. I'm here, as always, with uh, one of the muses of my diorama suitcase art, uh, Joe Reed. You know, it... it, it impressed upon me as you were uh, reading that that when we have guests on they haven't heard our previous episode because it's not out yet and the little uh the little spiel we have at the beginning that is a reference to our previous podcast sometimes is a little bit of mystery and sometimes i'm just like i wonder what they must make of that and then this time when it's about uh the abundance of juices that was uh uh glenn close's uh, fantastic line of dialogue in the House of the Spirits. I was just like, that's a particularly uh, spicy meatball, as they say. I would say that it's traumatic, and that if you've heard it and seen House of the Spirits before, you are unlikely to forget. It's it's the ultimate. Uh, if you know, you know. Of words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right off from the top, guys, we have a guest that we are very excited very. for, very excited for this movie in particular, and uh, much of the topics we'll get into. Nathaniel Rogers is here. Welcome! Thank you, thank you. Always um, happy to talk Pfeiffer. Yeah, always, of course. Um, of course, we should uh, introduce you as well. Of course, the listeners know you as the creator of the film experience. Uh, you are the super fan with a P, actrosexual ringleader. It's Not true. You're, you're sort of the uh, the um, uh, anthropological uh, actrosexual uh, scholar, I feel like. <laughs> is this the way of saying I'm old? You're the Jane Goodall of uh, of actresses. <laughs> Where's your Nat Geo um, documentary? That's a, that's a good question. Um, well, and also, like, we knew we wanted to talk Pfeiffer. This will be coming out uh, Oscar nomination morning. We'll see what happens with French Exit, and we can talk about that later. But we wanted you here for Pfeiffer, and we threw out some of the Pfeiffer titles, and this was, like, the obvious one, right? Yes. I mean, what would be the point of my life if I didn't discuss this movie? <laughs> At every opportunity. It's one I bring well, up a lot a, when a, I talk I mean, about, what, what, like, Oscar nominations that I'm somewhat 
mystified. I mean, we'll get into it. There are definitely reasons why it didn't happen, but like, I'm still just sort of just like, ah, that like, it was right there. It was right there for you, Oscar voters. Alas. (laughs) It's still painful all these years later. (laughs) It's so funny because like, Michelle Pfeiffer is like synonymous with glamorous movie star. Like, she's the movie star of movie stars and just like when people talk about you know, what Especially, like, what sort of separates, like, an actress from a star. Like, what has that, like, extra, like, quality. And she's always sort of, like, she embodies that. And she has, oddly enough, like, as many misses with Oscar as she has hits, if not more misses. And it's it's just somewhat... There's that, that class of actresses. Meg Ryan, we've talked about a bunch on this podcast in that same way. I'm just like, it's just strange... That it hasn't happened, or it happened more for Pfeiffer, happened at all for Meg Ryan. And it's just like, but they're such big stars. They were, at the, the, the very well, least, they the, were. There's also not a lot of movies. Like, there's, yeah. th- Pfeiffer has three nominations and, like, not a ton of movies. And as many in, like, what people might consider her comeback stage of the past, like, 20 years, right? Every movie's a comeback. She's at that stage now. She's at the stage where, like, every movie is a comeback for Michelle Pfeiffer. I have things to say about that, but they'll pop up organically. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Before we get too deep into the movie, though, whenever we have a guest, and you are actually a returning guest, you were uh, with uh, our first tiff episode recorded That's at right. like all of two in the morning but we didn't do the whole guest spiel with you and uh other guest nick davis so we what we always like to talk about and i'm really excited to hear your answer on this because i don't know um or at least i don't remember if you've ever written about it before um we like to talk about like your oscar origin what first initially got you interested in the oscars or like if you can remember the first ceremony or first win that got you like interested or excited for the oscars um yeah i definitely have one i I, we have to travel back to the 1980s perfect (laughs) and um the very first thing that i my very first memory like a a very um cemented memory that i have of the oscars is seeing the tv guide for the 1982 oscars oh wow and just and just so knows when i refer to an oscar when i refer to a date i'm talking about the film year and not the same you're in good company same for us as yep. well you're in a we safe sometimes space get people it's a safe space. yelling yeah. at us like i'm silly <laughs> that's the wrong year and it's like oh no 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 that's that's not the school we um, yeah. attend <laughs> so i was looking at at a tv guide cover that had like um it had the statue on it but it also had pictures of like et and gandhi and tootsie and and i was like what's this like, like this shiny object attracted my baby eyes (laughs) and i was just like what is this and all i remember about the oscars in my home because my my family wasn't you know we would go to the movies like any family did but you know they weren't really into it and all i remember about the oscars in my home is that when when the word came up it was always this disgruntled oh that's the people that denied star wars type of thing I mean, that's, um, that was at the least only... that's passion in one way or another. You know what I mean? There's at least right. uh, there's at least feeling there. Yeah. So I know for a fact that our family, my family, didn't watch the Oscars because it required me. I'm the baby. I'm the youngest, and it required me to be like movie obsessive for that to start happening right. in our home. And so, like the very, fr- I don't really. I have very vague memories of the. I was really young, and I have very vague memories of the '80s Oscars, except for that I do one of my 
very exciting moments was interviewing Nicole Kidman for um, the Paperboy. <laughs> and we found out that the very first Oscar memory both of us had in terms of the show itself was Shirley MacLaine winning the Oscar for terms of Oh, the that's such a great one. One of the I all-time mean, great speeches. That speech? Yeah, one of the great yeah. speeches. And that's the I so I obviously watched that show cuz I had a very specific memory of her saying, you know, the show has been as long as my whole career. Right. right. She's got like um, four or I, five different lines in that that are like so funny. Yeah. Everybody remembers um I deserve this, but like there's just yeah. like there's so many. She's so funny. Turbulent that. brilliance. Turbulent brilliance of Deborah yeah. Winger I will never forget <laughs> in my entire like it's such a wonderful like a backhand that's not even intended as a backhand. Like, I don't even think Shirley thought she was being shady there, but, like, it's so right, right. <laughs> descriptive of of yes. everything, of that whole relationship there. Oh, my God. Also, yeah, everybody so- remembers the show has been longer than my career. That's probably, like, the number two behind I Deserve This, right. which she totally deserved it. But correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, that ceremony, I think, was, like, an half hour or an hour longer than like normal ceremonies or shorter than normal ceremonies now oh was it oh that's funny i i think i've seen that those numbers somewhere before i can look i'll look it up later and see if i'm wrong or not but that's um, what's so funny about when you know every year it's the annual panic that the oscars that nobody's going to watch the oscars this year it always feels like um there there's that uh Kathy Griffin joke when she's talking about Celine Dion in Vegas, when Celine Dion walks onto the stage and every single time she acts like she's surprised that anybody shows up at all. And she said that Celine must <laughs> yeah. be thinking like, what if this is the year they do not, what's, this is the night they do not come. And I always feel like that's the way with the Oscar producers where they're just like, they're so petrified that one year nobody's going to show up. And so they get like really panicky about just like throwing out uh, hosts and and presenters and performances and whatnot. Yeah. And but you look. Well, at, they have to be panicking this year with the Golden Globe numbers, where it was like the this three is of the us new panic. and a few yes. um, errant homosexuals watched. This, this is the year. new panic. Well, this I mean, year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's a it's a earned panic. Oh, sure. <laughs> like we're in force majeure times. Like this is like this is yeah. brand new circumstances. But my thing is, if you look back at any clip from the 1980s or 70s even with the oscars the joke has always been that the ceremony's too long that's like the oldest yeah. joke in hollywood is that like we're at the oscars and we're going to be here until tuesday like that's generally the joke and it's just like okay well and it's in we're we're, we're still here we, we survived you yeah. know all this time <laughs> so yeah and so, yeah i do the only thing i remember about that oscars was surely saying that so i i doubt that i watched the whole thing right um, because I don't, I didn't, I thought it was a funny line, but I didn't really feel like, yeah. you know, I don't remember anything else about the ceremony. Yeah. So it wasn't until like the late eighties where I started like tracking it obsessively. Like mm-hmm. I have a couple memories from like each of the eighties years, but then by like 88, for example, I remember like totally waiting for the nominations. Yeah. And, you know, well, you have, and, I know, and from wondering like, which clips they would select, all that stuff. Oh, well, yes, that's, you know, the parlor game of parlor games. But I know just from reading you as long as I have, uh, and uh, you have sort of these uh, longstanding, and I'm just going to say grudges, but in the most complimentary way, about like, <laughs> about like, especially best, best actress wins. Like, if you have like very strong opinions about like, uh, 86 best actress and uh the grace kelly best actress and you're just sort of like going you yes. know all the way back um so like there's the, when the rooting interest sort of takes hold 
than that, I think, I because my whole Oscar thing is just like, I was rooting sight unseen, by the way, for Pulp Fiction to beat Forrest Gump, because Pulp Fiction was the cooler film at the moment. And yeah. I think that really, like, if you can if you can find a way to be invested in someone winning over someone else, be, be it either, you know, happy or angry about it, it really helps, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> foster the obsession. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I it it all happened very like across a decade of becoming more and more obsessed and then I was, you know, hopeless by the end of the 80s. Yeah. It was my life by the end of the 80s. I got to say like that truly is like the inception of a true obsession if it happened to you in the 80s Oscars because I've been going back and watching like wins that I've never seen before and for months I've been trapped in a purgatory of the 80s Oscars. Um, so like, I think that really distills, uh, how rich your, uh, obsession and like yeah. part of your identity is with the Oscars because some of those wins, man. Yeah. Well, as, as Joe said about me holding grudges, maybe the eighties <laughs> formed me because the eighties were the worst for how they treated the actresses. Yeah. Like all of like Kathleen Turner, uh, Michelle, like Glenn Close, all these people who, by any stretch of the imagination should be Oscar winners are not. Yeah. Well, so that was, I was going to sort of transition from that of the three Pfeiffer Oscar losses, which one, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Which one do you hold the biggest Mm -hmm. grudge for the winner of among Emma Thompson, uh, Gina Davis and uh, Jessica Tandy? I mean, (laughs) A thousand percent, Jessica Chan. Yeah, Tandy. Yeah, yeah, I knew this. Was um, just I, I was so angry about that because I was like, you know, people kept treating it like a career win. Oh, we have to honor this legend. I'm like, she's barely made any movies. She's not a movie legend. <laughs> so, like, it, that was very frustrating for me. That whole narrative. Sure. Well, and if they only knew that she was going to get fried green tomatoes a few years later, they could have given her. Uh, not that I would have hated for Mercedes Rule to uh, to have gotten usurped. Uh, instead but um by the elder itchy thread good by the elder itchy thread good exactly (laughs) exactly um god the jessica tandy moment was such a it's funny how we uh, this is gonna sound condescending but like we do sort of like fall in love with older actresses for like a minute where like there was that gloria stewart i mean the 80s geraldine page also was the same in the 80s well, Geraldine Page was the finest actress that F. Murray Abraham has ever uh, has ever known. So. <laughs> the greatest, I didn't. It was like I consider her to be. That's the funny part about the F. Murray Abraham thing is that he doesn't just be like, "This is my favorite actress." He goes, "I consider this woman to be the finest actress in the entire world," and it's so funny. Um, but like Gloria Stewart and June Squibb, were sort of all of a sudden like we Hollywood sort of like latches on to just like this is the old lady we like right now. can i say one thing um about how um i was dumb when i was younger um i for the longest time until i was probably an adult i thought that i'm on cloud nine meant i'm 90 years old because in jessica tandy's oscar speech she says i'm on cloud nine and everybody (laughs) claps and i didn't realize that means I'm happy. <laughs> you thought that was a euphemism for like when you were in your seventies, you're on cloud, cloud seven. Life. I'm in my ninth decade, tenth decade, I guess you call that. I love this that. Is so great. I, uh, I love that idiot. kind of stuff. Um, 
No, listen, it's Jessica Tandy's fault she misled you. Like, we'll blame her. That is definitely the one that, like, feels like it got away for Pfeiffer. Because, like, I feel like Fabulous Baker Boys, like, not to dwell on, uh, you know, the pandemic and, like, all of that. But it feels like the internet has crystallized around several different movies. Like it definitely happened for Moonstruck this year. And I'm just waiting for it to happen for fabulous Baker boys, because like all those people that are now obsessed with Moonstruck, if they got their hands on fabulous Baker boys, I think they'd Mm -hmm. lose their mind. Yeah. uh, People seem, people are, seem to think I'm crazy and it's just the Pfeiffer thing that I say it's one of the best movies of the 80s but no it's one of the best movies of the 80s I think if you talk to the like any critic who you know has seen it and remembers it and has written about it sort of you know uh, critically I think they tend to agree like I I always hear you don't hear people talk about the movie very much but when you do like people are very very sort of glowingly complimentary of it because it is and it's one of those you know we talk about like they don't make movies like this anymore but they really don't Mm -hmm. and it's also one of those great performances where she's a lead actress in the movie but she's not like it's called the fabulous baker boys because like so a lot of the focus of the film is on the brothers and she mm-hmm. sort of steals it from them in a way that isn't sort of uh so when you talk about like somebody stole a movie out from under people it always always feels very like hammy or very you know <laughs> over the top or whatever and it's not that with her but like she absolutely you walk out of that movie and you're just like oh my god like you only want to talk about Michelle Pfeiffer and it's again it's star power it's performance it's all of that yeah it's exactly the kind of thing you want to you know give an oscar to and she won yeah, the golden I mean, globe think... for that i know that like we're in a very yeah. fraught place with the golden globes these days but like that's one of those moments <laughs> where just like hey like if not for the golden globes she wouldn't have gotten you know anything major for it so yeah i mean the gold well i mean we'll get into that too but the golden globes really love her or, or they used to <laughs> right so um yeah, but thank God, because otherwise she wouldn't have a statue for that movie. Right. So what, um, let's, uh, for our listeners who maybe are not familiar with this movie, though I think a lot of them are, because this is one they've been begging us to do for a while, uh, what is it about White Oleander of a lot of the Pfeiffer options that makes you, like, pick this one? Oh, it's it's the simple fact that I think it's one of her three best performances. Like, I, I think it's legitimately a great performance i think she really kind of wholeheartedly elevates the movie because like we'll get into the the book and like the book club of it all Uh, um but i i have like some problems with the movie itself and it's just like you really feel it coming alive and becoming the best version yes of itself when she's on screen and when she's bringing what she uh, brings to the table to it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, it's, it's the performance itself is great, but her actual impact on the movie is really seismic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and part of that is that that's the, the function of the character in the story too, where she just looms so large over, everything and but the flip side of that is that's a challenge then to the actress that you have to live Mm -hmm. up to the sort of legend that the rest of the movie 
sets up for you. And she absolutely, you know, fulfills that. I saw she was in one of the uh, interviews that I watched uh, today that she gave about this movie. She talked, I think, in a couple of them about how the author of the book, uh, Janet Fitch, had Pfeiffer in mind when she wrote that that uh, character. And mm-hmm. so, uh, like, you can tell because, like, uh, and you get it in the voiceover in the movie, which absolutely, like, I'm certain is, you know, word for word from the book. But talking about how she was, uh, you know, she was the most beautiful person I had ever seen. And a lot of people say that about their mothers. But she was the most beautiful woman that most people had ever seen. And I'm just like, well, yeah, that's the Michelle Pfeiffer of it all. Like, that's the one where you're just <laughs> yeah. sort of just like that kind of um, intimidating uh, beauty. Mm-hmm. Sort of hard. I remember. I re- I read the book before uh, the movie was in, in, you know, in production and um, well, we'll talk about the book too (laughs) for the, for the Oprah of it all. (laughs) But um, the, uh, the, in the very first like chapter, there's a sentence and I still remember it to this day because like when I heard Michelle was doing the movie, I was like, Oh my God, perfection. Um, But I didn't know that the author had had her in mind. And the description of the character is her beauty was like the edge of a very sharp knife. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm like, that's her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even just the way she's styled in this movie where like (laughs) her hair is just like, sharp straight you know what i mean it's just like there's absolutely (laughs) no texture to it whatsoever it is you could you know you could cleave a stack of uh, papers in half with that uh, with that hair and it she wears a ponytail in one scene and you can see that it's been slashing her back as she's been walking back and forth (laughs) right right exactly (laughs) which is kind of it it sort of reminded me a little bit about how we've decided we're going to we're going to style rosamund pike whenever she plays americans it's just this very kind of, um, you know, intimidation as as character, as a, as aesthetic um, kind of a thing. Very brave of you to bring up Rosamund Pike after those globes. Hey, that was one of the best parts of that, is that just, like, the globes were kind of a mess this year in, in all sorts of directions, but some of those wins were really surprising. And listen, that's what I'm, you know... That's what I'm here for, is for an award show to give me something that I was not expecting. So I was happy with that, at least. Well, perhaps uh, before we get too deep into the movie, because we're wading into those waters, we can do the 60-second plot description. Nathaniel, if you are primed and ready to go to describe the movie in 60 seconds. Okay. Alrighty, um, so um, we are here to talk about White Oleander, director by directed by Peter Kosminski, uh, adapted by Mary Agnes Donahue, the screenwriter of Beaches, uh, from the novel by Janet Fitch. The film stars Alison Lohman, Michelle Pfeiffer, Renee Zellweger, Robin Wright. We will get into that. Uh, Noah Wiley, Patrick Fugit, Cole Hauser, Amy Aquino, and uh, Taryn Manning briefly. Uh, the movie premiered in wide release, one of, I looked it up, six wide releases wow. on October 11th, 2002. Nathaniel, if you are ready for a 60-second plot description of White Oleander, we will start your time if you are ready. Yes. All right, and your 60-second plot description of White Oleander starts now. Um, a young girl of an unknown age, Astrid... Um, is recalling her adolescence for us in voiceover narration while making suitcase dioramas. Um, 
turns out her mother, a famous artist, Ingrid Magnuson, uh, up and killed her boyfriend uh, because he wasn't properly obsessing over her or some such. Th- the details are vague. So she ends up in prison and Astrid ends up in the foster system um, where she jumps from home to home, experiencing, uh, experiencing Jesus freaks, insecure actresses, uh, Russian capitalists, and uh, she falls for it. She's also an artist and falls for another artist and regularly visits her mother in prison where her mother continues to be a toxic influence on her life. Um, and uh, 10 seconds. And then she leaves the foster system. The end. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of those. It's almost like a travel log of uh, of hardship or, or tragedy or something like that. Is she kind of? That's why the the suitcase motif is uh, feels very on the nose. Where it's just like, oh right, and very pat for yeah. what the movie's doing. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's almost like this. A uh, kind of grim metaphor with how the movie adapts the book, where it's like it just packages away each of these little experiences yeah. for her. Um, the closest the it comes to, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say the closest it comes to plottiness is the thing towards the end, where it's just like, is she going to testify on behalf of her mother to you know possibly get her conviction overturned or her sentence uh, commuted or whatever, and. That even comes to, you know, it sort of fizzles out a little bit in that, like, that revelation that, you know, oh, she said to to leave you alone. And she walks out of the prison. By the way, in the most glam-looking, like, prison <laughs> garb ever, it reminded me, because she's walking out and she's got this sort of, like, this white, again, crisp unimpeachably like white and sharp collared and it's like the collar is very contractually obligated white crisp collared shirt um, it reminded me (laughs) when i was at abc and working uh with the soaps and there was a storyline where erica kane on all my children susan lucci went to prison for something or another like i who can remember these days but the scenes she's in jail and she's got this like fully tailored orange prison jumpsuit with like a collar (laughs) and rolled up short sleeves and it's like cinched at the waist and it's a whole like it's the most fantastic costuming decision i've ever seen on a soap opera i'm just like god i love this show so much and that's sort of the first thing that came to my mind when i saw pfeiffer what getting sort of like perp walked out of the courtroom and i'm just like god she looks fabulous just it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) well the the crazy thing is she got so much flack for that in the reviews and in the sort of discourse around this movie but but her sort of insane beauty is the point right exactly yes. right exactly yeah um like so the book it, describes it w- her as very nordic she tries to pass off this lie that they're descendant from vikings vikings yeah. right yeah um like yeah that's absolutely the point and that's absolutely um a huge part of ingrid's draw right that she weaponizes against people yeah mm-hmm. yeah to the whole yeah, so people like, were missing com- the point. <laughs> compartmentalization of the movie. Like, I remember being very excited for this movie. I loved the book. I've read this book multiple times, uh, including I was assigned it in college. And I was like, cool, I've read this book before. Great. It's so trunk. By the way, no better feeling in college when you get assigned to read a book that you've already read. You're just like, you really feel like, like you won. You just really feel like you just like, you nailed it. It was just like, yes. 
Uh huh. Um, I think I read it either in like a female author class, something like that in college. Yeah. Um, but the book really goes into like, I think the longest stretch of the book, and I suppose it's the longest stretch of the movie, but there's a lot more detail when, um, she's in (laughs) the Russian capitalist, um, Rena's house. That's like my favorite stretch of the book where like Astrid really kind of starts to come into her own and it feels so miniature in the movie. Like everything Mm -hmm. feels so condensed to be an under two hour movie. And like, I hate to do the whole, it would be a limited series now. And I've said that so many times. It absolutely would though. It absolutely would, but it would also be better. Sure. Um, It would. Yeah. Um, and, like, it would do right by the rest of these actresses that aren't Michelle Pfeiffer and Alison Lohman. Um, and, like, nobody is phoning it in in this movie. No, absolutely like, not. So the movie gets, you know, like, flack and people don't think it's very good, but the cast is really quite good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Across the board. That's absolutely the strong in this suit. movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think Renee Zellweger is, like, pretty amazing in this, especially mm-hmm. the scenes with her... The scene, I guess, but it's a couple different moments with her and Michelle Pfeiffer are That's it really made me want too, those two to do another movie, movie together again. Like I would really love to see those two um sort of at it again. My thing I did not ex- go ahead. I did not expect my grudges to be brought up in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is just so funny that we're discussing a movie that's also a Renee Zellweger movie, since uh, for many years I referred to her as uh, She Who Must Not Be Named. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I also think she's fantastic in this movie. She's really good. I it's think. an interesting movie to think about with her career, especially after the Judy campaign brought up a lot of stories of her career where she was constantly working herself like to the ground and like should have maybe turned down some of these movies and like she plays the like actress who can't get work and they literally show <laughs> a clip from her Texas Chainsaw right. Massacre movie right. in this yeah. Um, it, yeah. it even at the time it felt a little spooky for lack of a better word like something mm. something feels uh autobiographical here too real um, too not real. to put too much on it yeah. um so like it, it it is interesting watching her stretches in this movie now yeah. considering the much better place she's in i ab- mm-hmm. i absolutely agree about the performances i think especially this time watching it especially, because this is probably like the fourth or fifth time I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie a bunch. Um, Same. I've always, you know, Pfeiffer's always been on a pedestal for this movie. I've always loved this performance. Loman really impressed me this time around, that the fact that like she and Pfeiffer really do feel like they are the twin pillars uh, of this movie, especially in their scenes together. I think it's a really good Loman performance. Um, my thing with the film the story the you know the screenplay and sort of like movies like this and maybe we can use this to sort of ease into the oprah discussion uh i've talked a little bit about how i used to work at the public library when i was in uh high school uh in the uh, late 90s and this kind of era of oprah's book club dominance but so many of these the books that were very popular then were these books that like for lack of a better description just like it was the series of the worst possible thing that could ever happen 
happening sort of like over and over and over again too mm-hmm. especially like like in this just this young girl who just goes from like one terrible foster situation to another and i remember there was this very popular book at the time when i was at the library called a boy called it and it was about just this uh, yeah this boy who like went through this like horrific uh child abuse and locked in the basement and all this sort of stuff and it was always sort of it was always a little bit strange to me that these books were so popular because it's just like it's just a lot of misery i thought of that when i when um everybody was reading a little life and i uh, uh, did as well a book that i actually i did re- very much was engrossed in and enjoyed but that had that same sort of literary tendency of just like oh god what's the next thing that's going to happen what's the next awful terrible thing what you know mm-hmm. uh, and in this one it's just like well her mother gets sent to jail she gets thrown into the foster system she you know gets accused of uh, trying to sleep with her foster mother's boyfriend the, the she gets shot and then she goes into a, a group home and in the she book, gets I believe assaulted she does actually sleep with him and that would that that absolutely tracks to me like there's there's a lot well go ahead yeah it's very vague in the movie but i think that's one of the movie's truncation problems Mm -hmm. yes is that it's trying to race you through like like each one of these vignettes if you will could have been well as we said they would have been whole tv episodes in a miniseries Mm -hmm. i think you get also especially in the early parts of this movie i was really like (laughs) We always bitch about voiceover in films. I always feel like Brian Cox and adaptation about God help you if you have a voiceover narration. But like, especially <laughs> at the beginning of this movie, when we get Astrid sort of talking about her mom and she's, you know, she's talking about how tells us how she started dating the guy. And we used to sort of have a laugh about him. And she used, she, my mother's always said to me X, Y, Z. And I'm just like, well, you have Michelle Pfeiffer right there. She could just say it herself. Like we have, you know, you're paying her already. Might as well have her speak these lines. But that it all, it all felt very much like the getting to the part where Ingrid gets sent away to prison really got fast forwarded in this, where even if you watch the trailer, Stephen Root is in the trailer talking about, says the line about, you know, white oleander's poisonous. I don't know why people grow it. And so you can tell, and there's more, it seems seems like there's more Billy Connolly as the, the you know, ill-fated boyfriend than we mm-hmm. end up getting. So it feels you like- You barely a, see his face in the movie. Right. know that it's Billy Connolly. So it really feels like a lot was cut out of that portion of the movie. And it just- it felt glo- it like me- glossed over. Well, there's a certain level that the Ingrid portions of the movie, there's a fluidity to them. They kind of blur time. I mean, like Astrid's yes. flashing back, but like right. you see bigger chunks of that story later on than you expect to. And it made me wish that like, not that it was all jarbled in time, but that there was a little bit more fluidity with these other foster homes that Astrid has put in because it just all feels like these blunter objects mm-hmm. in the story well and then maybe yeah, and it would it, have a more of an impact at the end when she is able to lay out her life in suitcases sort of linearly like then maybe that becomes a little mm-hmm. bit of a hard one triumph where you know she's able to assess these things that have happened to her and these things that she has gone through a little bit better i don't know yeah okay yeah because <laughs> The way the movie starts with you seeing the the suitcases a little bit like every TV episode, like 
and and then and then we jump back 36 hours to see how we got there. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yes. But but I, I I will say one one thing about the movie that I think um it sort of works even though it's coming from this place that makes a lot of things not work is because it's so vague you sort of are with Pfeiffer early on and that it right. and it takes you a while to catch up to how sociopathic she actually is. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I think is an it actually works for the movie because you're more it places you more in um Astrid's um mindset, like where she worshipped this woman yes. and then comes to realize, oh wow, <laughs> my mother is toxic. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and the as you go along, you get more, not exactly into Ingrid's head, I don't think you're ever really quite there, but you get her, you know, the psychology of this woman sort of becomes revealed more and more, even in just the way she reacts to things like Astrid talking about the, the Jesus-y aspects of Robin Wright's family, and when she, you know, and Astrid's sort of a little sunny about it and a little optimistic about it, or at least, you know... And that becomes a threat then to Ingrid. And you see that sort of like in her face and just her reaction to that. And then that leads you to, well, you know, now Renee Zellweger's character is also a threat and here's what she's going to do about it. And by the end where you get this uh, reveal of what happened in the early years of Astrid's life and, you know, who her father was and what kind of how that really sort of set Ingrid off in terms of uh, how she would react to, you know, men and, and children and all, all through her life. And you sort of like unravel that, that ball of yarn a little bit with her. And she, she, she lets that all unfold really interestingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love the final uh, confession scene where you get all that story. It is surprising that uh, just on a performance level, like that Pfeiffer didn't get, this is a very, very packed uh, year for actresses in both lead and supporting category. Very competitive, but it is still a little surprising even for the movie to have not been received. Um, Well, that Pfeiffer didn't get further or wasn't more of a threat to like win or um, even just to get nominated because every single one of her scenes is huge and right. every yeah. single one of her scenes could be an Oscar clip. Right. Um, and it's one of those performances that is a true supporting performance that nonetheless, whenever she's on screen, she's the lead of her. She's in charge of her scenes. And so it's the perfect mm-hmm. kind of formula for, a supporting performance that you know is memorable and is impactful yeah i mean if if her child had been a boy <laughs> you right. might have even had and the movie had been beloved you might have even had a silence of the lamb situation where she she was promoted to lead because of how impactful like the the movie every time it goes back to her the movie yeah. comes alive yeah mm-hmm we kind of uh, almost got towards like the book conversation. And yes. I think um, one of the things we should bring up, because I could have sworn that we'd had an Oprah's Book Club movie. Me too, actually. Yes. 
And maybe we just talked about it tangentially, but uh, we should mention this was an Oprah's Book Club book, which at the time, this is pre A Million Little Pieces, where it's like that was a considered a very prestigious literary thing for like contemporary literature um, for Oprah to select you. And it's like any of those books that were selected were automatically hits. They were given a certain regard, like... Um, all of the Wally Lamb books. Oprah was a huge proponent for um, Toni Morrison's books. Um, the Wally and Lamb a lot books of them too. Got right, that's that's another one where it's just like, oh my god, just like this series of the worst possible Franzen. thing that's ever happened. Oh, god, it's yeah. <laughs> um, but like all of the film adaptations that came from Oprah's book club books are basically this had Oscar buzz movies. Yes, absolutely. Or very close to be, or sometimes nominated. Like the reader was even an Oprah's book club book. Um, that one I totally don't remember. But like Deep End of the Ocean was hugely popular. Again, back to my like library days. Like you could not keep a copy of Deep End of the Ocean on a shelf. Like it, there was a waiting list a mile long. This was the, like the dominance of the Oprah's book club. And um, House of Sand and Fog, Ditto, Map of the World. Um, I I'm I, and Deep, Walmart, e- Deep End was also a Michelle Pfeiffer movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. we got to do Deep End of the Ocean at some point. Like we got to just that's Deep End of the Ocean would be a good opportunity to talk about Whoopi too. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and so the only real but it, it's interesting. Go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say that the interesting thing about Michelle being in two of those is that in one she's like perfectly cast. It could not be better yeah. suited for her. And in the other, she's horribly miscast. Like, I had read Deep End of the Ocean when Oprah selected it. I was one of those people who were like, oh, I got to read this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Mich- I never would have thought of Michelle for it, and I don't think she's very good in it. She's also a perfect mother in one and a horrible mother in the other. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, you talk about, like, a map of the world and, uh, you know... Love in the well, love in the time of cholera is when the Oprah's book club then decided to be about um, sort of classic stuff, and I think that was after yes. the A Million Little Pieces um, sort of flesh wound on Love in the Time the of club. Cholera. She selected right before the movie came out, so I'm sure that was like a marketing sure. type of yeah, yeah, yeah. situation. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's an interesting because, like, she, again, the Oprah seal of approval made those books absolutely bulletproof like you like they were Mm -hmm. instant bestsellers they were just like enormous the fact that you know most of them got uh movie adaptations is absolutely due to you know the oprah influence and yet almost all of them with the exception really of house of sand and fog which had you know success in certain oscar categories but like most of them ended up becoming disappointments as films just in terms of like their successes and again it's one of those things where it's just like or just not well reviewed because even like the reader is a best picture right oh right nobody likes that movie right 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 exactly um where the heart is is seen as like junk right even though i will watch some where the heart is like that's one of those ones where like i've caught that one on cable a few times and i'm just like sure i will sure i will watch this movie with natalie portman and ashley judd absolutely i will 
Um, but it also it's it's very indicative of just like different marketplaces have different barometers for success and different um, you know things that are valued and as films the Oprah book club sort of genre and there was you know certainly sexism was part of that where it's just like these are you know stories mm-hmm. largely about women and you get to, you know the the these are you know these are lifetime movies and yada 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 even though something like the deep end of the ocean really could have been a lifetime movie you know what i mean that kind of thing but that's just mm-hmm. but that's a that's you know there are good ones and there are bad ones and but i think as films oprah's book club was a little bit of a if not a hindrance then at least like it boxed these movies in with a certain amount of the audience or critics or the industry. It's I mean like I I agree with the negative assessments of the movie while also thinking that like some of that was exacerbated by a certain degree of what you're talking about here of like sexism and like see looking askance at this like it could be a lifetime movie. The thing is like I think this is a really good book. I did really like this book and like I've you know discussing it in like college classes and stuff like the language of it is like kind of what makes it and like it's it's not a huge book but like sitting with like astrid's situation like rather than speeding through all of these houses yeah really like prevents it from being that type of maudlin thing and you're really watching this character grow as she goes through these experiences and you're watching her awareness of who her mother is evolve um or i guess reading if you're reading a book you're not watching um in a way that like if the movie could capture that better i would hope that there would be less of those type of comparisons and complaints yeah you talk about sort of yeah, like I mean, loving the Rena uh, portions of the book, and in the, the m- portions where um, Katya Zamolochkova plays BB Newworth, <laughs> basically. <laughs> well, it's so funny in watching watching it unfold in the movie because, like, Amy Aquino is like the picture of compassionate competence in this film where she's just like she shows up and she's you know a functionary, but you at least you know trust that like. Astrid must be in good hands because this woman has it together. And yet, like, there's that moment where you see Rena sort of walking across the lawn in her heels and and miniskirt and leopard print and all this sort of stuff. And she's like, she's stumbling in the grass because her heel gets stuck in the mud or whatever. And she just looks like an absolute, like red flag well walking red flag essentially (laughs) and and astrid goes i want her she's russian right well and astrid goes i want her after like amy kino's trying to place her with this like perfectly boring nice family and astrid goes i want her and they don't cut to Amy Aquino's face. And I think part of it is because then the movie would be over because Amy Aquino would be like, fuck, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. But that's the reaction <laughs> I kind of wanted to see also is just like anybody with their head on straight would just be like, what the actual fuck are you talking about? She's going to sell you to a Saudi prince. Like what is going on? Like this woman is going, does not have your best interest at heart. It's it's amazing. The visual of that alone. Well, and what actually happens is she kind of like teaches her to like stand on her own feet and like uh is capitalism competence. Is yes. is capitalism. <laughs> you you this country likes money like I like money. 
<laughs> well, also, I think what's so great about that is that it is sort of like this weird um, uh, segue from what Ingrid in the prison is trying to teach Astrid. And so it's almost like revenge against Ingrid at the same time that it's actually doing what Ingrid, Ingrid's asking her to do. So in terms of wanting her to learn from from her experiences. Yeah. Instead of going instead of going for what's easy, but it also feels like a very hostile accepting of someone's advice. Like I think it's like psychologically really fascinating, which is why I wish that people were nicer to the movie even if they didn't think it was good, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm in that boat where it's just like I, I, the weaknesses of the movie really were more pronounced to me watching it this time, and the the strengths also were in that way where I do feel like mm-hmm. the performances are really good and things like, well, we're going to depict the idyllic nature of her time with Claire with the Renee Zellweger character by showing them running on a beach, sort of arm in arm, and I'm just like, guys. Just like it's just it's 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 pretty it's a lot it's it's pretty unsubtle just sort of just like running and laughing on the beach and i'm just like okay it's the antithesis because it's uh ultimately like the most devastating home that she's in uh it's like the antithesis of uh something's gotta give in terms of beige sweaters oh yes <laughs> it's very yes beige sands uh kind of a thing the beige sands beach club that they uh that they uh spend time at i guess <laughs> all of her homes are traumatic but like yes, at least in the are. way that it registers in the book like this is the real breaking point for astrid um what she goes through in renee zellweger's home the thing i noticed watching it and I, that i remembered this time around that i'm sure must have been much more impactful in the book because you probably had more time with it is her relationship with the little boy in robin wright's home who mm-hmm. she seemed to really bond with and he was the one who called the police after she got shot and melissa mccarthy by the way shows up right which i was Cameo. not prepared for <laughs> Our first Melissa McCarthy episode is Why Oleander. Just the angelic um, uh, face of Melissa I McCarthy. I, have been rescued by Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because she shows up and literally just like her face comes into Astrid's uh, view and she's coming too. And I'm just like, I literally a gasped. soft focus. I just yelped. Yeah. I, was, I was so happy to see her. I did not remember her being in this movie whatsoever. In I details. did not either. And she gets like full close up. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like Melissa McCarthy. Oh, yeah. There she is. But the the relationship with the little boy, I feel like if I, I, I it must have in the book felt even more devastating that she like she just never yeah. sees this kid again after uh, being because they have that really nice little scene where she's just sort of like you know talking to him and and it feels like she has a, a, a sibling for a moment and well and Robin Wright's character, if I'm remembering the book correctly, assaults the child in a separate incident like breaks his arm or something yeah because he's wearing a sling in one scene yeah yeah but there's no context for that right yeah robin wright is good in this movie uh, with a pretty impossible character i feel like this Mm -hmm. woman is a walking uh i don't know halter top like there's rules guys yeah how did they how how did she ever get approved to have foster children? No, that's the that's my going back that's to thing. I think Amy Aquino's quiet competence. I'm just like, lady, like you really seem to be good at your job, and yet you just keep dropping her off in the most like literally when she's walking in um 
to Robin Wright's house, and Robin Wright is just sort of just like, oh, that's my other daughter. She sucks. And I'm just like, you're going to leave her here with this woman who's obviously terrible? Like, what the fuck? That's like the best, one of the best scenes in the movie to me, and certainly that don't include Michelle Pfeiffer, is that introduction where it's like this cyclone labyrinth of a double wide that is all done in one take, and Robin Wright is like a full uh, neon monster taking Astrid (laughs) through the uh, Ouroboros of this double wide. Right. That like all of these rooms are connected somehow. Right. Um, So good. And like the foster system in this country is obviously uh, not, not perfect. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't want to be naive about the fact that like, yes, like unfit parents get foster children, you know, I don't want. I don't know about often. I don't know you numbers here, but you know what I mean. I don't want to be like naive about that. But the movie is particularly kind of. Uh, you feel like a little bit of insidiousness would have benefited that portion of the movie a little bit more of just yeah. Like, the oh, movie like, doesn't seem fully aware of like the system as a problem, or or, or, yeah, or aware of it on a very bad. shallow level. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just like, well, mm-hmm. she's in the system, yeah. and the system is bad. Yeah, I, I kept thinking of it uh, of Short Term Twelve, which mm-hmm. of course when when which would be another uh, the sad Oscar was, mm-hmm. um, uh, be, because well of course when White Oleander came out, Short Term Twelve did not exist. So I think White Oleander was the first movie I saw about the Foster system, mm-hmm. and but Short Term Twelve has it has these like nightmare situations within it, but it also has you know the balance you you do understand that some of the characters had really great experiences that sort of saved their lives. Right. Right. It's, it's, uh, um, so it's, yeah. it's a much more interesting, I think, take on the foster system. Cause it, it views sort of like, you know, the, all, all of the possible problems and solutions of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 2002 ness of this movie really comes through in a oh, lot of boy. different ways. One of those ways is obviously Renee Zellweger, but like the fact that Patrick Fugit is the boyfriend, I'm just like, oh, I know exactly what year this was. You know what I mean? It's just... <laughs> right. And he's very sweet. Like he, you know, he doesn't really have a ton of heavy lifting to do in this movie, but he's no. sort of the picture of, um, you know, this sweet artistic boy that she obviously, you know, he's a little bit, a little bit of a lifeline for her and the movie doesn't do. And obviously the book likely not either, uh, doesn't really care about making him a savior for her. And I was happy for that. Um, but you like, that's really good casting. I feel like, because like, like he's the, the epitome of look at that face on that boy. Like, look at that face. You can, you know, how could you be mad at that face? And like, that's basically all you <laughs> need him conceivable to do. boyfriend and girlfriend. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Guys, what's Alison yeah, Loman yeah. doing right now? That's my question. I know. Like, <laughs> I she knew left this was going to come up. Um, <laughs> she got dragged to hell, to hell and she's never returned. Favorite of hers. Yeah. <laughs> It's too bad. Um, she's good. She's really uh, good. Another another two thousand thing, two thousand two thing about this movie is the whole like subplot, or it's not even a subplot. It's like a tiny, tiny niche plot within one of the subplots. Is Cole Hauser's character sort of sleeping with his ostensibly his uh, stepdaughter? Yeah, yeah. And the movie doesn't even seem to. It doesn't admit that that's what's going on, but that's clearly what's going on. 
and the I movie doesn't they, seem to be blaming him. The movie is a him. little cowardly in like allowing you to decide if it happened or not, right? Um, where it's explicit in the book, and at this point, Astrid is fourteen years old. Um, yeah, yeah, and like today, obviously, that they wouldn't have handled that plot in the same way, mm-hmm. because even within this movie, which is a very you know female centric movie, they sort of blame Robin Wright for that whole situation. Yeah, it definitely doesn't see him in a way that is, like, grooming right. or, right. <laughs> like, you know, he has control and he can put a stop to certain things. Right. And uh, I don't think its perspective on that character is very good. But again, like, truncating everything mm. it I noticed, makes for mistakes like yeah. this. I noticed uh, this time through... Um, that the very first name that came up on screen was John Wells, a John Wells production. Ah, yeah, and it. I was like, oh, my arch enemy, John Wells. <laughs> 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 because he also made a complete mess and a reductive mess of August, August Osage County, which County. is so brilliant. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which is so brilliant on stage and, of course, was a mess of a movie. Um, and, I, yeah, I, it just reminds you that some like adaptations are not easy. Like, you really right. do have to have, like, artistry yeah. to pull them off. Yeah. And I think especially adaptations like this where, you know, the overarching story is a lot more episodic is probably even more difficult to make interesting because you can just, like, kind of fall into this boring, hopscotchy, yeah. um, like, storytelling structure. Yeah, it almost felt like a biopic in that greatest hits from Astrid's life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. At the very end, if she turned out to become like a Supreme Court justice, you'd have been like, "Oh yeah, okay." Like that's <laughs> the moments that built. Today love. we call them artists. <laughs> Today we call them suitcases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is like the inventor of uh, what's that suitcase company? Oh, Samsonite. She's like the CEO of Toomey. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. What's the really good suitcase that, that's trendy now that I definitely want but is too expensive? She's that. She invented that. Um, the one where you yeah. can plug your iPod into it or whatever. Your iPod. What the fuck mm-hmm. year am I talking about? Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> well, it speaking is very, of 2002. It is now it is very current with iPods. <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah. Um, but so the movies reviewed decently pfeiffer's reviews are much better for her sort of specifically she singled out she wins a couple of these sort of smaller critic circle awards she wins at kansas city like regional prizes and san diego and then the height of her progress in award season is she's nominated for the sag award in supporting actress partially because so Nathaniel, you'll remember this uh, as as well as anybody. Was it that Meryl Streep and adaptation was uh, slotted as a lead at SAG and then wasn't nominated because she competed with herself for the hours, or what? Did they just not like Meryl? I that think did? that's what happened. I think that's what happened, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's sort of um, my memory because it's the same as the Oscar lineup except for Meryl, right? Yeah, and also, but I mean, if we're talking about like the race for supporting actress that this year, the reason the person I blame for Michelle's <laughs> miss is Cameron Diaz. Yeah, 
<laughs> who also wasn't nominated. I was going to say, go on. Go, go, that was her in Gangs um, of New she York. She also wasn't nominated, but she, but you know, the Globes had been like major fanatics with a PF, right? Right. They had nominated Michelle six years consecutively, which is like a big deal. And, um, and then this movie came around where she was even better than many of the nominations they gave her. And then they just went with Cameron Diaz and Gangs of New York. Now, I am not a Cameron Diaz hater. I think she's been brilliant in some things, but that is a nothing performance. That's a universally disliked performance. Yeah. I don't think right. anybody's going to be mad at you for saying I'm that. a fan of Cameron and, Diaz, and that is, yeah, she's bad in that movie. We can say that. I think we can say And that. yeah, she shows up with a Globe, Globe nomination, which I think effectively killed Michelle's momentum because the Globes would have made her you know, it would have been like, oh, yeah, we love Michelle Pfeiffer. She's amazing in that movie. So even though and she got the SAG subsequent to the Golden Globes, you think of like she was already, it was already too hobbled. I think it just killed the momentum. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Because she did have momentum. Some people thought early in the season, like in October, some people thought she might even be able to win if she got nominated. Well, and I think part of it, too, I mean, it's it's that, it's not great reviews and like we've talked about this before o2 is so incredibly backloaded where it's like all of these movies come out in december yes wasn't about schmidt even a december release they were yeah and best picture was like all december releases Mm -hmm. yeah about schmidt was december 13th yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. Incredibly late, late breaking year with the Oscar. Catch Me If You Can also, I'm pretty sure, was December. That was, yeah, that was Christmas. That was Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild how incredibly backloaded it is, even beyond the the best picture category. So, What's yeah. Interesting is the person whose slot I think Michelle Pfeiffer would have taken actually is Julianne Moore's because Julianne Moore wasn't Globe nominated. Whereas, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Kathy Bates, Queen Latifah are the ones that show up everywhere. Um, yeah. And Julianne Moore for that movie kind of took a minute to take on. Um, this was a big year. And they were already nominating her for Far From Heaven. Right. This was a big year of, like, triangulation of... Triangulation. Can't talk today. Of award strategy. Because you had things like... Julianne Moore has two films that are contenders. And one of them... She doesn't mm-hmm. want to compete with herself, and so we're going to put her in supporting for the hours, even though that's absurd. And then Meryl is also in the hours, and Meryl is also competing with herself among two performances that could be conceivably, you know, slotted as lead. I do feel like supporting for adaptation is reasonable. Um, but she's also competing with Nicole Kidman in the hours, so it's just like there's a lot of... You know, internal competition is kind of the rule of the day. And then you get into the Chicago women where Catherine Zeta-Jones is nominated as a lead at the Globes, but now she's supporting at the SAGs and at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And it's and then Catherine's also competing with somebody from Chicago. Just there's a lot of jostling among these, you know, sort of top movies and the cast of these top movies. And I think that at least kept things a little unpredictable. For a little while, at least, even though mm-hmm. in retrospect, you look at this and you're just like, oh, of course, like, of course, Julianne got nominated for the hours for a co-lead performance. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny that you said that's the slot she would have taken, because I remember at the time, like, that's that sounds accurate to me. But I remember at the time, the feeling was that 
Queen Latifah was the sort of extra she um, seemed, nomination she warning, which doesn't like really make usurper. sense because she was also nominated before. Yeah. Well, she was everywhere because, hold on, let me look up Critics' Choice. This is when Critics' Choice was still only nominating... They only had three nominees. Three, and I truly wonder if um, if it had been, like, more established as a precursor and they had, like, the full five or, like nine or 12 however many they nominate these days <laughs> however many they need to to predict the oh, exactly um i think michelle pfeiffer could have shown up at critics choice um just based on what like their taste was earlier on let me see because mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure queen latifah was in that lineup no i don't she it was only was three not. people she it was, was only three people so i think it's kathy bates and um Catherine Zeta-Jones wins. Let me look up who the other person was. I think it Probably was Meryl. Meryl. Yeah. I think that feels right. But the thing about Queen Latifah in Chicago yeah, is, Meryl. now looking back, for as much as people were sort of incredulous about that back then, because, you know, uh, you know, is Queen Latifah an actress or is she a singer? Yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's a very small performance. It's a small but, performance. Yeah. It's And I think there was a lot of sort of people were were slow certain people i think were slow to embrace chicago as a musical especially if you were really into musicals because there was there's always these mm-hmm. pure, purity tests with movie musicals but i watched chicago uh, a few months ago uh as a pandemic comfort watch and that when you're good to mama performance like jumps off the screen it really is oh it's sensational it's yeah. absolutely no sensational. she deserves that nomination i i think it also speaks to the strength of chicago at that time yeah in a way that it it, it maybe sounds like circular logic but i think it was probably harder in the way maybe some of this is gendered that you know awards voters think of performances i think it was probably easier for them to push aside richard gear than it was for queen latifah but queen latifah's nomination partly speaks to like she'd been in hollywood a long time worked with a lot of people yeah um and like gives the performance that she gives but also in like a movie that was really strong and really hot Um, yeah and like she shows up uh, throughout the other precursors too i don't think that she would have been in last place Right, which is what's funny because I specifically remember the conversation being like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you're right, it was probably Julianne Moore. I, I also watched Chicago this summer as part of the supporting actress SmackDown at the Film Experience, and um, it was uh, it holds up remarkably well. It's a good it does. movie. It's a really good movie. I really we really are talking love it. Uh, supporting actress who uh, who won uh, from the. Uh, from the panelists who won that uh, SmackDown, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yep, she's great. Yeah, and she got like five right. stars basically across the board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I would still maybe vote for Meryl. That's one of my favorite Meryl performances. But like anybody voting for Catherine Zeta-Jones is not wrong. Yeah, you mentioned the yeah. Richard Gere thing on this too, podcast. We support the Casa. Yes, we do. We support Casa Zeta Jones uh, implicitly. Please, please sponsor us, Casa Zeta Jones. That would be the the greatest day in the world if we ever found out that we got sponsorship from Casa Zeta Jones. Um, you mentioned the Richard Gere thing, though, and I wanted to just bring up the fact because he is also nominated at SAG, and the the eventual Oscar nominee who wasn't was Michael Caine in The Quiet American, a film that I've still never seen. That 
I can't imagine, like, if you, like, asked, like, you know, even, like, among, like, film Twitter people, just, like, remember The Quiet American? They'd be like, no. Um, but, like, <laughs> it's also a Miramax movie. And I wonder, like, what are, what's, Miramax movie. what's the internal Absolutely. politics there that they managed to snag a nomination from Richard Gere for Michael Caine from, like, the less popular you know, Miramax well, they also movie. had Gangs of New York, and they're probably not going to get three, right? Like from a single. Sure, but like, what? Why? I'm. My question is just like, why didn't Miramax just like at some point tell the Quiet American that like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing it with you? Like so many times, movie <laughs> studios have like de-emphasized an awards campaign. Oh, totally. For something because there's a stronger horse in the race, and like Richard Gere for Chicago was a stronger horse in the race. So it's surprising to me that Miramax sort of like kneecapped their own star with their uh, less uh, with a star from a less popular film. I I also think that's a a gendered situation too mm-hmm. in that what they value from men is so different than what they value from women. Yeah. And like musical performances and you know there was criticism that he wasn't doing his own dancing like they didn't care that Renee Zellweger was a bad dancer but but you know right. they cared that well somehow... it helps that Roxy Hart is supposed to be a bad dancer <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I I think that that had to play that played into it too that the musical musicals are a feminine genre right mm-hmm. yeah I'm trying to think of besides Ryan Gosling in La La Land what are the musical actor performances that have been nominated recently right hugh jackman name is johnny depp sweeney todd so there have been yeah there have been a few but yeah those are definitely kind of uber macho performances. yeah not yeah. like maybe not uber macho is the right word but um yeah depp does a lot go, of growling in sweeney todd he kills a lot of people it's, that's fine that works well depp and oscar at that point i mean they're fucking nominating him for shit like finding neverland so like he's already like <laughs> right. among their favorites but like hugh jackman like if you take the musicalness out of it like that's the type of thing that they reward in that in lead actor already right. he just yeah. happens yeah. to sing um whereas like a, a schmarmy like seductive guy is not on the top of their list right right yeah yeah good point good point even one uh, but who i also is a career performance that they could have yeah. used to like recognize richard gears but if if we're if we're in the section already of why didn't this get nominated yeah. or why didn't pfeiffer get nominated i think the other problem is just a problem of momentum mm-hmm. you know i talk about this all the time on the film experience but like momentum is like something that does not get discussed enough, but it really matters. Like carrying over from year to year really matters with awards. Mm -hmm. And, and Michelle had made a lot of bad movies in a row at this point. And also she doesn't really seem to care about awards. She doesn't care about publicity all that much. That's why I partly feel like this is coming out Oscar nomination morning. And I wouldn't be surprised to see her show up in best actress simply because like, you know, this. she doesn't do press. She doesn't do interviews and like French exit seems like the most I have seen her do in my adult lifetime at least yeah oh yeah i mean i i've been actually surprised at how much she's been doing because having been like a, a super fan my whole life of her fan um, of the p yeah i i've never i have never seen her be this this 
out there promoting yeah. a movie before. I, I saw, and I certainly um, don't remember her doing much or this much for White Oleander. I I, I watched no. a couple of clips earlier today from when the movie was being released. She did a Letterman. She did a Today Show with Katie Couric, and you watch both of those much more so, I think, with the Today Show with Katie Couric because Katie Couric was. Really asking some dumb questions. Katie Kirk leads the interview with just like a minute and a half about how much she hated Michelle's character in the movie. And Michelle's just like, oh. oh um, and and I think Katie that thought that she was being Katie. a compliment. Text. I think Katie thought she was being complimentary because, you know, she, the character's a villain. So it's, you know, but she's just like, I couldn't stand this woman. Oh, my God. And Michelle's just like, oh. Um, but you can tell she doesn't, you can tell she doesn't like doing it. She, you can tell this is not her thing. No. My, the last time we talked about Michelle, uh, or at least when we did the Frankie and Johnny episode, and I watched that whole Barbara Walters interview from that era. And it's so, like, at least that one is fun to watch because, like, it's so contentious and it's so very much like, and, mm. and you can tell that, that Michelle resents having to do this at all and barbara resents the resentment and so it's just like they're both really really (laughs) angry at each other in a way but they can't really like let it out it's an amazing interview um these ones the ones with katie and and dave where you get she's just like this is just not her you know she's you know shilling for a movie like this not quite her thing and then i don't know how you know because that movie opened in october you know was she doing anything in december and january for it like you know, who knows? I mean, she will dutifully she will dutifully show up if she's nominated for something. Yes. Oh yeah. She's not one of those people who she's not one of those people who like just will never. And she's always like, there her, when her... David E. Kelly gets nominated yes. for something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's a good she's a good sport about it, but yeah. she just doesn't try. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with with her with this performance in particular, I think one of the reasons I wish that aside from the fact that I think she should have won is one of the reasons I wish she had been nominated is I think sometimes she'll take on parts and I will feel her pulling back from the mm. tougher edges of, of the material. Like I, I feel like she is not always as brave as she is in white Alander with totally embracing how pathological this woman is. Right, right, right. And so I just like, I'm like, don't give her, you know, don't, don't attack her for playing somebody so unlikable. Right. He should be rewarding her. Well, this is why we loved um, her. It's such interesting psychology. This is why I loved her so much in Mother too, where it's just like mm-hmm. yeah. she's really she's getting her life with that character. She's really enjoying playing that woman in a way. Lemonade. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I can still hear her uh, playing with that glass. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so then, so we are uh, in the sort of, we're in the voting window as we record this now, Oscar Oscar nomination voting window. She is a contender for French Exit. I don't think a nomination is going to uh, materialize for her, although this year's weird, so who the hell knows? Yeah. Um, but it's we're, a huge performance, too. Like It is. Where are you with that, Nathaniel, in terms of the performance in terms of what you think her chances are where are you i i mean i i have her in seventh place right now yeah. um i think it would not surprise me actually um just because she's done much more promotion than usual yeah. and it is a it's a good performance yeah. and she's definitely the whole movie yeah. um but you know the again the precursors weren't 
really there for her mm. and you know i and it also the movie just isn't she has this problem regularly where she's the very best thing about her movie yeah um i mean meryl streep has that problem too but with meryl streep it's like people are so obsessed that right you know they don't care if it's bad right you know mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas with i think with michelle like people care if, if they like the movie or not yeah um so it wouldn't surprise me but i think sophia loren is just as likely if there's oh that's a surprise. interesting you think that she's the possible big surprise of uh of that field yeah because i i think you know the 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 pre- I think most people think it's going to be like McDormand, McD- Mulligan, Davis, Day, and Kirby. Yeah. Um, I feel like but Vanessa I could, Kirby is maybe the most yeah. vulnerable of that. I feel I like think, we're going to have some yeah. weird 2016 shit happening. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. like, I don't I think know. Kirby I think Vanessa could Kirby easily be what replaced. Else are people talking about that movie for. Right. So I think either Loren or Pfeiffer could show up in Kirby's in what people think it's going yeah. to be Kirby's spot. I keep making Chris but angry by saying that year. I think Amy Adams is gonna is gonna sneak in there, but I'm just preparing. I would, it would be so unfortunate. I'm just I'm I'm, I'm piling nomination. up sandbags in front of I'm like Judy Dench in Ladies in Lavender <laughs> or in uh, Tea with Mussolini, where I'm uh, I'm piling up sandbags in front of the artwork just so that like if the worst happens that like something is preserved and that something is my sanity. So that's why I'm <laughs> mentally preparing for uh, Amy Adams nomination. getting nominated for a Hillbilly Elegy is something that's going to maintain your sanity? No, no. Knowing that it's going to like being ready for it happening oh, is okay. going to maintain yeah, my sanity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you meteorologist Reed. Um <laughs> Yeah, oh. I think something it's something weird will be there and i think the most likely weird thing is pfeiffer for me i see well and i think the most likely weird thing is sophia loren but i could see either of them happening we will see we'll uh as listeners are listening to this we will know oh they'll they already know yeah oh we'll either sound prescient or stupid for even considering yeah the weird weird thing is gonna be um uh uh salma hayek for like a boss <laughs> I love that performance, by the way. God, that seems like eight billion years ago, though. Like you talk about how this extended year really, you know, goes on and on and on. But like that does feel like that movie happened just a billion years ago. It did. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, we were talking about that Michelle doesn't really do a lot of press, but one, I think one one interesting factor now that she's back to work. Uh, who knows how long it will last is that she's, like, active on social media, which I never in my entire life could have imagined happening. Oh, she did she do Instagram? Yeah, tons of Instagram. And she says she likes it, um, which is a shock, because she's always been so secretive. Um, Does she interact with comments, though, or does she just post? She just posts, but she... But the funny thing about it is if you, you know, if you follow a bunch of celebrities, she regularly interacts with other celebrities yeah. mm-hmm. i've seen her and in I, like anne hathaway's comments yeah. that's like you look gorgeous <laughs> blah, blah, blah. yeah know, i love and that. so i the thing that's been surprising and maybe this is just my own fantasies about michelle because my life is obsessed has been obsessed with her for so long is that i always imagined that one of the reasons she had trouble at award shows is that she wasn't friendly like because her screen persona can be so icy, yeah. I just assumed, oh, she does, she doesn't, she doesn't like hobnob with other celebrities, and yet on social media, she seems to be like totally like 
a softy. She so could funny. be so very introverted, wrong. and I kind of actually feel like Instagram is a very introverted social media in a way, or you mm. can make it be that way. Well, you, so she's also fully in control of, there's no mediator for that, which I do feel like a lot of her guardedness comes from, well, I'm going to give you this, but like, then what are you going to do with it? You know what I mean? A lot of that, I, you know, the, the Barbara mm-hmm. Walters right, interview right. or whatever, it's just sort of just like, well, yes, you know, I'm going to, you know, make myself available and open and whatever, but I don't trust what you're going to do with it. And well, yeah. and like we <laughs> talked about this in our Frankie and Johnny episode where like the media wasn't, was really backhanded to Pfeiffer yeah. in a lot of circumstances. Like Frankie and Johnny was a movie that was like, well, she's too pretty to do this movie and she's right. great yeah. in the movie. Um, right. I mean that. Yeah. I mean, I understand why she's guarded because like you, you can't, you can't win. Right. She's Yeah. She's too beautiful, and yet that's why she wasn't taken seriously yeah. at first, is because she was so beautiful. And then it's like when she gives a great performance, oh, she's too pretty. Even in this, where her beauty is the point, right. it's like, oh, she's too pretty for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I do like the one time I've met her um, was for I never do roundtables or junkets because I hate them, but yeah. I agreed I agreed to do it for Cherie. Um, Cherie oh, or, right, or Cherie. Cherie, because because like I thought. Um, well, you know, it's my only chance to meet her type of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I agreed to do it. So sitting at this table with all these other people and a, I don't remember if it was from us or people, but whatever, who it was some big magazine and they were actually not allowed to speak <laughs> because I'm not even kidding. <laughs> they you. had the Hannibal Lecter mask on among them reporters. The yeah. <laughs> they were not allowed to ask a question because the publicist or the handlers or whatever knows that that outlet is always going to ask about plastic they surgery. were in the doghouse oh wow and they were already in the doghouse so they were not they were there they could re- report that's on this, fantastic you know, this... i love that so yeah. much honestly fucking good for her yeah she gagged them for that shit like yeah and i just thought it was so interesting because i was like no wonder she's guarded because they people have not been fair with her right and um yeah so that's so funny i love that do you want one more crazy viper story yes absolutely Absolutely. okay (laughs) sorry i mean you did invite me no this is exactly as much viper as you want to give us (laughs) yeah you are as i mentioned the preeminent viper scholar (laughs) so preeminent has an f in front of it (laughs) as well so when i uh First moved to New York. Uh, the very first uh, Fiverr movie that came out when I had moved to New York was uh, The Story of Us. Oh, sure. And and I I was not invited because I was not, like, uh, I, I didn't have press passes to anything. I wasn't, you know, I had just barely started writing type right. of thing. And so I don't, I don't even remember how I got invited, but it was like a fan invite type of thing. Sure. To yeah. the premiere of The Story of Us. So it was at the Zigfield. So we had to wait in the separate line aside from where, do you guys remember the Ziegfeld, how they had that red carpet spot? In oh, front, yeah. Yeah. Um, where the, the limos can pull up or whatever. And, right. You know, and then inside there's like a version of the red carpet because it's this long hallway. And so the fans had the, the fan section had to wait way away from the red carpet. <laughs> But some of the sneaky fans were like, oh, let's go wait by the window to the Ziegfeld because then you can see the celebrities file in. Right. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. Uh, because we were basically like told that we would be seated if there was enough seats for us, basically. Oh, yeah. So, so then 
I so then we run to the window and literally every single blonde actor or blonde famous woman that walked in people from at, pressed against the window like myself kept shouting it's Michelle <laughs> and I'm and I'm like that is not Michelle that's you know and I would name or Melanie Griffith or whoever it was you know it's it's like like no matter what act they look nothing like her if they were if they were blonde they would shout out it's Michelle oh and I'm God. like I would know I would know Michelle from the back of her head. That is not Michelle. That's so funny. That's Mira <laughs> Sorvino. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the funniest one ever was like this blonde woman comes in. Everybody's like, that's Michelle and freaks out. And I'm like, that is Oksana Bayul. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Not Oksana Bayul. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so literally everyone they thought was Michelle. And then Michelle finally came in. But anyway. Um, that's perfect. And she just breezed through, but but they didn't let us in. They let none of us in, oh, and boy. so we got passes to see the movie for free when it opened. Uh, well, that's nice at least. <laughs> so that was my not... final. The other that's the funny. the the two times I've met, I've seen Michelle in public was your once your brush with window. greatness, and that greatness yes. was Olympic gold. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, this movie did get when, a costume design guild nomination, I was say, which was nice for speaking contemporary of, film. Speaking of uh, like, prison duds, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, that's a great—that's a very savvy nomination for this. Well, the costume designer Susie DeSanto has actually done a lot of Pfeiffer movies of this era, so I was like, maybe she, like Susie DeSanto is the Anne Roth to uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Meryl Streep. <laughs> but if you think about it, the character of astrid is very well designed because she has to morph into all into versions of all the women she lives with Mm -hmm. they age that character really smartly i feel like in this movie and both performance and the way that they kind of style her it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. um gaudy even even when she shows up at the end and she's dark hair and a choker and dark you know what i mean she's She's just like she's she's threateningly goth that all felt like well, yeah, like you know, I you know I knew people like that, of course, yeah, yeah, and um, and also since Allison Loman doesn't age, that's remarkable. Yes. That the costume design, right? Yeah, Allison Loman at any moment can be plausibly sixteen to thirty-five. <laughs> like you just have no idea. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> Wherever she is now, well, she she's still sort of like, like twelve years old or something. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't talked about um, Queen Taryn Manning showing up in this movie, and then. <laughs> not really getting even a scene she doesn't even really get a moment she's just like eh, it's taryn manning just like hanging out in the van yeah she's the basically most conceivable in... actress to show up in this movie true. Yeah. that is true yeah yeah she basically is in three shots or two shots like she i think she has two lines yeah um and she always shares like no close-ups nothing like that right but she's you know Sharing cigarettes or whatever with uh, with Ellison Logan. That's sort of as Rena says, Russian cigarettes, no cancer. Yeah, that was a, such a good line, and it's so tossed off too. It's so funny. They like cut right after it, and you don't even like have a second to to linger with it. But it's so funny, Russian cigarettes. You know no that cancer. actress was having a ball with that performance. That actress, I only have ever seen her in one other thing. She was in an episode of The West Wing, where she played a Russian reporter for what turns out to be this like really like l- no standards tabloid in Moscow that like they find out that like their newspaper like. Uh, 
printed the the grades of the defense minister's son from high school and like they do topless photos in the magazine and in the in the newspaper and all of this and that's sort of and she's very sort of like defiantly you know uh standing up for for herself and she it's that same kind of like thing where she's just like we make money what you don't want to make money like we do uh and she's just like you have your comic strips in your newspaper we have what we do just like whatever um and it, I, she, I I like that vibe from her. It's a it's a nice consistent vibe. Oh boy, I wrote down a couple just like random lines that if like the gay circles of the internet got a hold of screenshots of, it would go everywhere. At one point, uh, Renee Zellweger says, "Typical Pisces." Yeah, and I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That was another one where she mentions astrology in the when she's meeting with uh, Ingrid in prison, and you get that that pit in your stomach of just like like Molly, you in danger, girl. Like it's very much just like oh god, oh god. She said something about astrology. You like astrology? Ingrid's gonna murder her. Signs, basically. Exactly. She's just like and the and she's just like and she says you're into astrology, but what she really is just like you're a fucking idiot, aren't you? It's just like it's so right, right. Oh my god. That whole that whole I, I Michelle's so brilliant in this movie, but one of my favorite yeah. bits is when is before Renee shows up and uh Astrid and Ingrid are talking and she's like telling her, but she's really nice and like the look on Michelle's face it's kind of like an eye roll. Like the very fact <laughs> yes. that kindness is like poison to her. Well, just is the word so nice. You know what I mean? Like for some yeah. people, like the word nice is anathema. It's just like, oh my god, she must hate the word right. nice so much. It's also the second movie where Robin Wright says the word virus, pronounced like virus. Virus. Sin is a virus. It's infecting the whole country like the plague. <laughs> Wait, what's the other one? Forrest Gump. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah. I want to see Robin Wright in this character talk about coronavirus. The virus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that character had some real interesting opinions about the coronavirus. Oh, like, I will definitely tell you. <laughs> anti-vax. Definitely anti-vax. Yeah, an anti-masker. Oh, know, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, she was at the Capitol yeah. on January 6th, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Handing out Bibles. Rubbing an onion on her face. <laughs> I also love that, like, the suitcase that represents that that portion of her life is, like, red light district. Like, it's all very, like, threatening colors and whatnot. And just, like, and it looks like, okay, so some of the things from her other portions of her life look like little artifacts that she held onto. And one of the things in the suitcase from that moment is just, like, this big gaudy stripper bra. And I'm just like, honey, did you take one of her bras? Like, is that one of the things <laughs> that, like, when you were getting wheeled away from getting shot, did you just, like, grab a bra on your way out or something like that? I'm not quite sure how you manage that, but, like, okay. <laughs> My last note on the movie is that the trailer feature- features Cheryl Crow's Safe and Sounds. Yes. Safe and Sound from the Globe Sessions album. And this, like, more so than even, like, Aaron Brockovich, this is, like, the Globe Sessions, the movie. Like, that album <laughs> intrinsically linked to this movie in my brain. So, the song is in the trailer, and then it's also played over the end credits. And then, so this movie came out in October of 02, but I also remember Cheryl Crow performed, I'm pretty sure performed Safe and Sound, 
at the Video Music Awards that year, and that was the first Video Music Awards after 9-11, because the VMAs happened, like, just before 9-11 in 2001. And Mm -hmm. so, like, the 2002 VMAs were very much, like, uh, elegiac and sort of just, like, Springsteen was there, and he did his, you know, song, and everything was... Teens love Springsteen. It was very, like, you know, halfway MTV, you know, glitz and gaudy and whatever and then halfway very sort of like somber remembrance and cheryl was definitely slotted into one of the somber remembrances uh, slots so safe and sound always make even though it probably isn't like makes me think like it's a 9-11 song because of that and so <laughs> i'm there like watching well, I, the end credits to this and i'm just like oh god all this and now i gotta think about 9-11 okay all right yeah, that that safe and sound song. I kept thinking when it was playing over the credits that I was like, "This is like the movie's version of like sort of edgy, but it's really not. It's, oh, it's like really yeah. adult contempt." Yeah, it's... and so I and then it made it started making me think about the fact that oh, Ingrid would hate so many things about this movie. Yes, that she's the star. Of. <laughs> oh my god, Ingrid would have despised White Oleander one hundred percent. Are you kidding me? Wait, what would have been the two thousand two movie that was nominated that Ingrid would have been like really into? Ingrid would have liked Secretary. Yes, yes. She would have been really, really pissed that Secretary didn't get nominated. You're absolutely right. That's the one. That's the one. Yep. For sure. God, she would have seen my big Chicago. She would have seen my big fat Greek wedding getting a nomination at the SAG for best cast, and she would have burned the whole place down. She would have been so mad. (laughs) Oh my god. She wouldn't have even liked about Schmidt. No. Well, and this, yeah, and this is like what's so funny about the Michelle being so brilliant as her is that Michelle's taste, from what we can gather, is very mainstream. Oh yeah, and yet she she understands this character so well, yeah. and yet the character would probably hate most of her movies. <laughs> right. Right. Well, one of the great things about the characterization in the movie is she gets into how much this woman identifies herself as an artist and really clings to that identification for mm-hmm. so much of her own not only worldview but like sense of superiority she's you know she's an artist so she's better than all these people she's a viking she's yeah. whatever and she what she shows where you know she shows where that little uh, uh view on the world is kind of threadbare at at portions but she's really you know she's holding on to it as it's really like the only thing she really has by the time she's in prison Mm -hmm. the only thing she really has to hold on to oh also the one thing i did want to bring up before we uh move into the game the thomas newman score plays such a big part in it's almost like you know it's the four leading ladies and then thomas newman is the fifth beetle of this movie kind of and (laughs) my friend uh bobby who i always talk about uh, movie scores with a former guest uh uh, bobby finger um he one time i mentioned how much i like the white only underscore and he just goes ah yes american beauty uh light and i was just like oh yeah and now i always (laughs) when i hear the score i'm just like it is sort of like oh i had these sort of like leftovers from when i did american beauty and i put them together for white oleander it is very 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 similar what's the movie that he rips off his own like it's the b-sides from the aaron brockovich twanglin score (laughs) oh that was pay it forward right it's pay it forward Yeah. yeah Which was, yeah, the same year as Aaron Brockovich. It really was just like, you know, I had these scraps lying on the floor. Yeah. (laughs) I do like this one as far as like his 
American Beauty ripoff scores, uh, I do like this one too. I do too. I think it's very uh, uh, evocative, and whenever sort of that theme kind of uh, presents itself, it's a little it's a little transporting. Also because the, that theme shows up a lot in the trailer as well. And I watched this was the I think I talked about this before. This was the year that I discovered um, Apple Movie trailers as a website, and I watched. Yeah. I just had a job that I was really bored at, and I watched mm-hmm. movie trailers all day and all the big 2002 (laughs) trailers were just like i would watch this and chicago and the hours and adaptation and uh just like all the big o2 movie trailers i was obsessed i just uh, it was like little dopamine hits throughout the day (laughs) all right should we move into the imdb game then yeah why don't we Joseph, why don't you explain the IMDb game to listeners new and old? Yes. Well, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. <laughs> That's the IMDb game. Nathaniel, you are our guest, so we're going to do this round robin style. Uh, but you get to decide if you want to give or guess first and who you want to give or guess from. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll give first. I'll okay. give the. Um, since we were discussing White Oleander, I thought we should do another screen daughter of Michelle Pfeiffer. Ooh, is this going to be for uh, Joe or me? Oh, uh,. I didn't know I had to choose. Um, I forgot that part. <laughs> um, let me do you, Chris. Okay. Um, and the screen daughter is Saoirse Ronan. Oh, um, okay. Because a lot of people don't know this, but Saoirse Ronan's film debut was playing Michelle's daughter. Yes. In um... Was it that Paul Rudd movie? Yes, it was. I could never be your <laughs> I could woman. never be your uh, woman. Penelope yeah. Spheris, right? Or is that Amy Heckerling? It's Amy Heckerling. Amy Heckerling. Oh, fantastic. Um, Sersha, I'm going to say, how many of her Oscar nominations do I think are on there? I definitely think it's too recent for Little Women, so I'm going to say Lady Bird. That is incorrect. Lady Bird is not on there. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, see, Sersha doesn't have a ton of... Okay, I wonder how many of her... Uh, one of her Oscar nominations has to be on there. Um, Atonement? Because I think Atonement showed up for somebody recently. Uh, yes, that is that is one of them. Okay, cool. Um, um, what about... Oh, um, she would be like the third person that this has not ever shown up for. Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Nope. Damn, I am bombing Sersha. Um, <laughs> wow, she's surprising as somebody that Grand Budapest isn't on there for. Because yeah. Grand Budapest is on there for everybody. Um, okay, what are my years then? Um, your years are... Do I get them all? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. all the other ones? Um, 2009, 2011, and 2015. 15's got to be Brooklyn. That's correct. Oh, nine's got to be a little lovely bones. Two thousand eleven 
is a weird time for Sertia. So just to place it in time to try to figure out what it is. It's after the Lovely Bones, before Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm just going to take... I can't remember if it's the host, not the good Bong Joon-ho host. (laughs) The Um, bad host. But if Sertia was in the host, that would be amazing. People have kind of forgotten the host, so I'm going to guess Hannah. Hannah is correct. She's okay. so good. She's so good. I redeemed Hannah. myself after I got my years, but uh, I, I don't know. Movie. Justice for Saoirse Ronan's I am her known for because the Lovely Bones should not be there for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> no, it should not. That's tough. That's a tough pull for sure. That's a tough break. Yeah. All right. So that means that I'm going to be giving to Joe and Joe is going to be giving to you. Uh, Joe, yes. for you. We didn't talk about uh, Pfeiffer in the future, future spelled with a P. Um, <laughs> she is uh, hopefully going to be an Emmy contender playing Betty Ford opposite as Michelle Obama, Violet Davis. Likely Oscar nominee this morning, Violet Davis. That's your known for. All right. Violet Davis. All right. Let's be smart about this. Let's do this. Let's say. Her Oscar win for Fences. Let's say that's there. Correct. There is no television. There's no How to Get Away with Murder. There's no television. Okay. All right. So Fences is correct. The Help, almost certainly, because it keeps showing up for everybody. Yep. The Help. One of Bryce Dallas Howard's three known for. (laughs) Um, All right. So... I really don't want to say Suicide Squad, but I'm going to hold that in my back pocket at least as like a possibility. <laughs> um, I don't want it to be true for, you know, many reasons. Um, I'm trying to think of like movies where she's, well, let's say be optimistic and let's say Widows. Widows is correct. All right. Okay. One oh, answer wow, away from a perfect me. score, sir. Okay. Pressure is on. You've been doing very well of late. Yeah. To pick someone like really difficult for you to throw off. Uh, <laughs> this is not well, fair. We'll see. We'll see uh, uh, how this goes. Okay. Um. Huh. I'm Viola Davis lead roles or should i find something because like netflix movies don't show up and ma rainey is both too netflix and too new to show up so i'm really uh hesitant to do that um i don't know why my brain keeps poking in there with solaris even though it almost certainly can't be solaris She's incredible in Solaris. She's incredible in Solaris. She should have been nominated for Solaris. She was great. Um, I don't know. Antoine Fisher. No. Oh, no. I stupidly didn't think of Doubt. Is it Doubt? It is not Doubt. Ha-ha. Whoa. Okay. Uh, <laughs> your year is 2016. So the year of Fences. Correct. What else is she in? That wasn't Suicide Squad, was it? 
It was Suicide Squad. God damn it. I had it. I had it so early. <laughs> Justice for that slot, uh, get Suicide Squad off of her nose yeah, for and for give it to something better. For um, real. How funny would it be if it was Lila and Eve? Oh, I that I thought of too. I'm just like, it's not going to be Lila and Eve, but oh my God, if only. Lila and Eve, spoiler alert, listeners, go watch that dreadful movie. Gen- gay people don't realize this, but this is a movie where Viola Davis's imaginary friend is Jennifer Lopez. It's amazing. That alone should make people watch that movie. <laughs> it's amazing. We watched that one together in early pandemic, and uh, we both called that one pretty early. Yes? Yeah. We were like, that's not, she's not real. She's not Jennifer real. Jennifer Lopez is she's her imaginary real. friend. Okay. All right. Um. So I'm going to give to Nathaniel. We've talked about uh, French Exit a couple of times. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, Michelle has been uh, pleasantly, surprisingly nominated for French Exit. Either way, she co-starred in that film with Oscar nominee himself, Lucas Hedges. So, Nathaniel, what would Lucas Hedges is known for be? Oh, goodness. He's a tough one. He hasn't had that many hits. They're more like critical hits. Um, but uh, but I'm going to go with uh, the, the aforementioned Ladybird for one of them. Ladybird is correct. Ladybird being on Lucas Hedges is known for and not Saoirse Ronan is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it underlines the fact that she's been in a lot more uh, a lot more notable movies than he has. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure. I want to say Manchester by the Sea just because of the Oscar nomination. Correct, Manchester by the Sea. Okay, the Let Them All Talk will not be there because it's brand new. Excellent um, movie. Um... Lucas Hedges. Oh, Boy Erased? Boy Erased is there. You are three for three. Oh, wow. Woo! <sighs> you could be another guest that gets a perfect score. Jorge, oh, uh, we no. deemed it got a perfect score. But now I'm, like, blanking. Like, Lucas, Lucas Hedges. Like, my first... Um... Oh, is anything TV? No. no television. No, No the slap, unfortunately. <laughs> justice for the slap justice for the slap see lucas hedges is tricky for me because it seems like he's in everything but i can't remember him in many of these things um he gets cast all the time though um oh no i'm so sad i'm gonna ruin my perfect score because <laughs> now i'm like I totally think if you follow your logic uh you will get a perfect score of things that like you forget that he's in this movie Manchester by the Sea. I already said Ladybird, Manchester by the Sea, and what did I also guess? Boy Erased. Boy Erased. Boy Erased, okay. Uh, Honey Boy? No. No. One of, one of his uh, multiple uh, boy movies, but uh, no, not Honey Boy. Yeah. So what's my year? Oh, I get one more. Yeah, guess. you get one more mm. incorrect guess before you get a year. Um... Honeyboy was a bad guess. Nobody's seen that movie. Um, <laughs> I almost guessed something I don't even think he's in. 
because my, my brain be was the on first the time I'm, I, I'm pretty sure i've done that <laughs> i will say though i don't think you're gonna guess this so i feel comfortable saying this he is uh the second person who is in grand budapest hotel uh that is not on their known for in this single episode i had forgotten that he shows up in grand budapest i had forgotten that too that was before he got famous I will say you gave me one who was a Pfeiffer uh, daughter. We Joe gave you this from French Exit where he's a Pfeiffer son. This other movie he is playing a son to a famous actress. Oh, 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 oh! It's that one with Julia Roberts. Ooh, no, you're no? thinking of Ben is back, well, and it is not Ben is back. Ben is back. Yeah, no, it's not. That ben was going to be my next guess. So. What's my year? Oh, 2017. Oh, same year as Lady Bird. Yep. What else did he do that year? Best Picture nominee. Yep. Oh, Jesus. Oh, but of course now there's like 10 Best Picture <laughs> Right. <laughs> makes it harder. He plays the son uh, of a famous actress in this Best Picture nominee. He's probably not coming to you because, like many of us, we're trying to scrub this movie from our minds. Okay. I'm, I'm going through the Best Picture nominees in my head. Um, Lady Bird. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Bird, Get Out. Phantom Thread. Shape of Water. He is famously uh, Sally Hawkins' uh, son in Shape of Water. (laughs) You might have better luck going through the acting categories, actually. Yeah. right. Multiple acting categories. Wow, why am I blanking on this? Um... (laughs) He perhaps calls this actress a uh, very derogatory term in this movie, and that's all I remember of his performance. I actually really like him oh. in this movie. I think he's really good. Oh, three billboards? Three, three billboards. billboards. Yep. Trace Sorry, billboards I needed that outside hit. Ebbing. Had, I totally there. forgot he was in three billboards. Yeah. I saw but that yeah, and Lady like, Bird within like a day or two of each other at TIFF, and I remember being like, This is a good this is a good festival for Lucas Hedges. I thought he was really good. <laughs> in both Yeah, he's in so many things. I I, I used to be tortured when Nicolas Cage would always star opposite my favorite actresses because I don't like Nicolas Cage. And then I have certain peop- other people who do that where, like, I was going through when I was picking my name, I was like, I'm going to pick someone who played uh, Pfeiffer's Child in a movie. So I was going through all the famous actors who played her children. And and I couldn't remember if Chloe Moretz was her daughter or her niece in um, Dark Shadows, but I almost picked Chloe Moretz because I hate Chloe Moretz. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what is embarrassing is I probably would have gotten Chloe Moretz faster. Than... <laughs> Who played her children in the family? Thank you for not bringing up the family. Oh, well, the that girl was from Diana Glee. Agron. It was Diana Agron, yeah, Diana Agron. And I don't know who was the other one, but it was Diana Agron for sure. Diana Agron, yeah. who shows up, uh, I believe it'll be like a month after this movie comes out, it'll be available streaming, but uh, shows up in this movie Shiva Baby. Oh, that she's in Shiva Baby. Fuck. She oh wow! Is. That that movie's great. Um, I can't wait. Oh, to it's see so it. fun. Yeah, check it's that so movie fun. out, guys. I shall. Yeah, the the screenplay's really good in that movie. 
I almost picked Britney Snow, but then she has two of the same franchise, so then I ruled yeah. her out. Ah, uh, those are always tough. Those are always annoying when because I keep wanting to pick Uma Thurman, but it's like, well, two of them are Kill Bill, and that's half the game. Like it just like it gets, it gets yeah. over very quickly. Yeah. Guys, I think that's our episode. Uh, if you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Nathaniel, this was amazing. Yes, so thank you so much. So glad to get you on here. Uh, not only to talk about this movie, but Pfeiffer in general. Yes. Um, I think listeners are really going to love this one. Uh, but uh, before we go, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Um, they can find me at thefilmexperience.net, which is my site, and I'm also on Twitter at Nathaniel R. Fantastic. Uh, Joe, how about you? Uh, where can they find more of you and um, your suitcases? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm packing my suitcases on Twitter every day uh, full of ridiculous uh, observations and and things about the world that i probably could just be ignoring but whatever uh twitter at joe reed reed spelled r-e-i-d i'm also on letterboxd as joe reed reed spelled the exact same way and i am also on twitter at chris v file that's f-e-i-l also on letterboxd under the same name we'd like to thank kyle cummings for his fantastic artwork and dave gonzalez and gavin mevius for their technical guidance please remember to rate and review us on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher wherever else you get your podcasts now including spotify uh five star review in particular really helps us out with apple podcast visibility so please don't give us five suitcases give us five stars uh that's all for this week and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz until you